is an Odyssey original. This is a special edition of KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. We start with breaking news. As uh, you've been hearing, what appears to have been a small tornado, maybe anyway, or a microburst, has hit in Montebello, damaging several buildings. It apparently touched down just after 11 this morning near the area of Washington Boulevard and Vail Avenue. With us now is Lena Cerna. She's an instructor at TGA Truck Driving School. She took some video of this possible tornado while she was outside with her students. Lena, thanks for being with us. Hi, thank you for having me. Tell me uh, what you saw. Well, <clears throat> we were, well, there was a loud thunder, uh, maybe like 15 minutes before the actual tornado happened. And then all of a sudden, like, I guess 15 minutes later, um, we hear this loud sound. Like, it it just sounds like something that, well, I've never heard of because, well, we don't experience any tornadoes here. So then we look over to maybe, I don't know, like our right. And then there it is, a giant cloud of debris. And it's like debris that, I mean, there's tarp, there's like, there's wood, there's all sorts of debris in the air. And then... um. I noticed that it was coming right towards us. So then I, I, I tell my student, I think we better go inside the building. And then um, I, this giant funnel started to form, like almost on top of us, and it was it was it was crazy. So um, so you saw something that looked like a, a, a funnel cloud, the kind of thing that you would see with a tornado. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And uh, what what did it sound like as it was uh, moving towards you? Oh man, it just sounded like uh, I don't know, like banging, banging cans or like uh, dumpsters, like banging against each other, and um, like uh, tarps. You know that that uh, when they flap against the wind, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Was anybody like. was anybody that you saw uh, apparently hurt? Because there is a, a at least one report that we've heard of of somebody perhaps being. Uh, hit by a garage door, you know, flying around in the air. Did you see anybody being hurt by debris? Well, not not a person or or anybody, but I we ended up driving out because um, I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe we can still continue class. And so I I, I drove around the block and our neighbor street, like our, our the, the street behind us, um, there was debris on top of cars. I, I'm assuming like uh, the rooftops had fallen on top of the cars, and then there was um, there was like um, dirt everywhere on on a building. It, it seemed like they were playing um, dodgeball on the building, and it created uh, skid marks on the on the wall. That's what it looked like to me. And there was um, no, that's basically what I saw. Uh, did you uh, did you get any kind of weather alert warning from anywhere on uh, your television, radio, on your phone? And and if you did, uh, us not being used to tornadoes here, would would you have known uh, what a tornado warning would have sounded like? No, there was there was no warning. There was nothing. I mean, I I think I saw flood warning this morning, but that was it. Nothing about a tornado. Nothing about um, um, any of this stuff. And I honestly wouldn't know what a tornado warning would sound like. <laughs> Lena, where are you now? I'm currently at the school. 
at the at PGA truck driving. Okay, so, and 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 what do you see now? It's it's dark. The skies are dark. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it could potentially happen again because it's so dark out here. It, it looks like a storm is coming. All right. So, are you concerned that uh, you might see uh, another uh, something like a tornado? Oh, I, I am concerned. I, I was even considering going home. We have no power here. And how long have you been living in Montebello? I don't live in Montebello, but I've been working here for a couple of years. Maybe like, um, I don't know, maybe three years. Okay. Have you ever experienced any kind of a storm situation like this? Not here. Not 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 here in SoCal. Um, and I've been living here for all my life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We uh, thank you, Alina, very much. Uh, stay safe. Keep an eye out if you see another tornado uh, bearing down on you. Take cover and uh, be very careful. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Montebello Fire spokesperson uh, Alex Gilman uh, on the line with us. Alex, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. How are you, first of all? And uh, what can you tell us about what happened here? We're referring to this as a possible tornado. Uh, do you have indication it's a confirmed tornado? This was a tornado-like event or what? Well, absolutely. Good afternoon. Uh, We can uh, confirm that uh, all Montebello Fire Department and Police Department resources are on scene of an event uh, that we achieved our first call shortly after 1120. Uh, We are discerning this as a microcell event, a very strong uh, microcell event uh, that did pass over a certain area of the south side of the city of Montebello. Um, We're continuing to make our preliminary assessment right now. Um, Again, both our fire department and police department resources are deployed uh, to make sure the perimeter is established. Uh, Anybody inside the perimeter is uh, evacuated out. Um, There is one report of uh, one structure that might have received some potential structural damage, uh, some roof damage. uh, But at this time, we're still conducting our preliminary assessment. I just want to be as clear as we can, because I noticed that you were making the distinction uh, to Rob's question by calling it a microcell, I believe you said, uh, event. Is there a difference so that people understand the terminology between a microcell event and a tornado? You know, right now our classification reads uh, this type of event as a microcell event. Um, I can't go into the details of what uh, exactly defines the difference between this and a, uh, a physical event such as a tornado. Um, but right now what we are being told is that uh, this was just a very strong uh, focalized uh, microcell event here. So, yes. And as you do uh, your assessment, uh, are you expecting to find uh, any injuries in this? Right now, we are still doing that uh, preliminary assessment, as you noted. So uh, we are, of course, staying aware and uh, keeping our eyes out in case there are any. Uh, Right now, none have been reported at this time. Uh, Because this preliminary assessment is still ongoing, um, I'll be sure to get back to you with any information if that does change. Is there much of a a debris field or any? Uh, Right now, the perimeter that's been established um, does have light debris, uh, just uh, tree limbs that have come down and uh, things of a a smaller nature of that sort. Um, That's about the extent of the debris. So you as a a fire uh, uh, member of the fire department and personnel, uh, we don't really have tornado shelters here in California. Not something that we're used to, but just in case there is another microcell or a tornado-like event, certainly looks like uh, debris from a tornado. We're uh, watching video of it right now. Um, what would you tell people to do if they see something like this uh, coming in again? What kind of shelters would you advise people to go into? 
Absolutely. Well, folks see a similar situation as this coming in. Uh, the best recommendation to do is to stay indoors, uh, remain safe there, stay away from any windows, any large glass doors. Uh, if the winds appear to be strong, um, definitely want to remain uh, maybe in the center of the building um, to stay away from those. And uh, to touch on that, this is definitely a situation that is uh, rare to those of us here in Southern California, but it is something that our fire and police professionals do train for. And that is why when we're on scene uh, of a situation such as this today, we're able to assess this and uh, quickly establish our perimeter and uh, handle the uh, process going forward. We, we just spoke with a woman who was saying that uh, the skies there are still pretty dark, and she was fearful of a repeat of this event, whether it was a microcell event, as you put it, or a tornado. Uh, does it look as if there's something still to come? Uh, right now, there is still uh, a chance for rain here in the forecast, uh, so residents should be rain aware of this. Uh, it's best to uh, tune into your local National Weather Service uh, for the latest updates on that. Um, and, of course, follow uh, your local uh, public safety agency departments as well in case any uh, in notifications are sent out regarding that. All right, uh, Mr. Gilman uh, with the um, uh, fire department there, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk with us today. We have a weather guy? Yes, we do. It's uh, Ryan Cattell, meteorologist with the National Weather Service, uh, joining us now on uh, the special edition of KNX In-Depth. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us, Ryan. What can you tell us? Now, it's been referred to as a microcell event, uh, not officially categorized as a tornado. It certainly looks tornado-like as we see video of the storm as it moved through. Uh, what does the National Weather Service categorize this as? Yeah, well, um, we see the same footage uh, everyone else is seeing. It does look like a tornado, um, but we do have a, a team of meteorologists uh, heading down there a little bit later today to do an official storm survey. And uh, at that point, they'll they'll be able to make the, the absolute determination on whether that or not it was a tornado or not. Well, let me ask you, because our, our uh, fire rep wasn't able to really make the distinction, perhaps, hopefully you can. Is there a difference between, and I gather there is, a microcell event and a tornado? And what is that difference? Well, there's, there's something called a microburst, and that's associated with a real small-scale, intense um, burst of, of wind that's more straight-lined. It's not spinning so much as, as much as uh, uh, pushing to the ground and spreading out in all directions. Um, and that's different from a tornado where it's actually a swirl of wind that uh, could produce you know, similar wind speeds and similar damage. So they're both, both damaging, both very impactful, but uh, whether or not one's spinning or not is, is really the, the main difference. Is one, we know that tornadoes, per se, are not very common in Southern California. What about microburst events? Yeah, I mean, we, we do get tornadoes in the area. They're, they're usually very weak. They're not the, the type that you see in the Midwest. Uh, but we do get tornadoes, and this is kind of our season in our in our late fall uh, through early springtime when we get our storms. So no. uh, we do get them, but, uh, but yeah, uh, they, they don't happen all the time. Why are tornadoes in the Midwest so much stronger than, say, tornadoes we would see here? Uh, they tend to happen during the summer and, and warm fall months. Uh, it's a total different variety, and they, they usually form from uh, very strong thunderstorms that are spinning very strong uh, rapidly, so that we call it supercellular thunderstorms. And most of the ones that we have here um, are, are a different formation, different mechanism on how they form, and they tend to just be weaker. Uh, and so it's really just a dynamic of, of how much uh, warm air rises uh, over the Midwest, and that produces the real strong storms, whereas here it's more cold air sinking and just doesn't produce uh, the type of intense uh, uh, spinning tornadoes as you see in the Midwest.
Are the uh, conditions currently such that Montebello or somewhere else in Southern California can today see a repeat of this sort of event, whatever it was? Yeah, we do have these showers and thunderstorms in the forecast for this evening, and things should taper off pretty quickly uh, by late this evening uh, through tonight. So really anywhere could could see uh, a weak tornado, but uh, the vast majority of areas will not see a tornado uh, and just see more heavy rain at times. Now, this being a microburst event or a small, weak tornado, is that why uh, National Weather Service doesn't get enough information to put out a warning beforehand? Like, I imagine, as you see in the Midwest, when they have tornadoes moving through, uh, meteorologists are able to get those warnings out there saying there's a tornado warning. In effect, right now, there's one coming your way. They can really see it when they look at the radar screens. Uh, is that why we didn't get a warning before this one? Well, in, in Southern California, we're, we're, we have the difficulties of all of our radars, which is what we use to look at storms. They're all mounted up on, on the mountains. Um, and that, that was decided decades ago so that we can actually get coverage and get data for all the area. Um, back Midwest, where they don't have a lot of terrain, they can put those mountains right, uh, those radars right on the ground and see what's happening at the ground. Um, but uh, because of the, the decision that we do have those radars up in the mountains, we do see all the area. We get data for all the area, but we can't see what's happening at the ground. So it's really pretty much impossible to detect uh, anything spinning near the surface. We can only see if the storm itself is spinning. And if that's the case, uh, then it could produce a tornado, but uh, it's actually still rare. If, if we get a supercellular thunderstorm that's spinning, it doesn't necessarily always give a tornado. In fact, most of the time it doesn't. So that's that's the big drawback because our radar is up in the mountains. We just can't see a tornado. We can see if a storm is spinning or not, but not a tornado. So in other words, it, it, it's virtually impossible for people here to be able to get a tornado warning if there's one coming. Yeah, not like in the Midwest where, where the meteorologists have the, the tools to see a, a tornado. Most, the vast majority of the time, we, we just cannot with, with the radars and, and how they're set up. And, and so, it, as you say, since these are so rare, it wouldn't justify the cost of putting radar installations down lower in areas where we might even see these uh, small tornado events, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a big long story, but to, to be honest, it, it just would be really difficult. We need a lot of radars to be able to see things at the ground. I mean, right. hundreds of them uh, deployed, and uh, we're just not set up at this point. But maybe in the future. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Ryan uh, Cattell, meteorologist with the uh, National Weather Service. Uh, this storm bringing us surprises with a small tornado-like event happening in Montebello today. Well, and and it's not just this storm, as you know. I mean, we've had months now of just bizarre for Southern California, bizarre weather. You name it, we've had it. We've had hail. We've had flooding. We've had snow. Blizzards. <laughs> blizzards. Uh, raining and, cats and dogs. And and now uh, possibly uh, either a small uh, tornado or a microburst Microcell. Microcell burst event. Right now, though, potholes. Yes, potholes. They're popping up everywhere. It's irritating drivers across Southern California, costing us all money. So is there a possible way to prevent them? Foster Dennis is president of California Paving and Grading in Los Angeles, and he's a longtime KNX listener and traffic tipster. So, Foster, thanks for being with us. 
Well, thanks for having me. I listen to you guys all the time, and uh, thank God we're talking about potholes and not politics, because you guys really rake the politicians over the coals. <laughs> okay, well, we promise not, not to treat you too harshly anyway. Uh, Foster, I, I think that is a question that a lot of people have. Uh, we get all these potholes. First of all, why is it when we have these huge rainstorms, or not even such huge storms, we end up having an epidemic of potholes. What is it that's actually happening? Why? Well, normally, you know, people don't realize that city streets are uh, layered with asphalt. Uh, When they're initially put in, uh, we usually put in two or three layers of asphalt on a new street. And consequently, over the years, uh, they're resurfaced. They're, They're what we call cold milled. They're ground out and an inch and a half or two inch layers put on top of it. And that's what you see popping out nowadays is is these areas where the water's gotten underneath the cap and popped this area out and the asphalt disintegrates off to the side of the road. And uh, city streets are very, very thick in Los Angeles. A lot of them have been capped, you know, five, six, seven, eight times. So you have 12, 13, 14 inches of asphalt. And you'll get through one layer, maybe a second layer. And uh, it's not too hard to do when you have a lot of heavy rain for these areas to get pulverized. What's odd, though, is uh, running across uh, dangerous potholes on the freeways, because one would think the freeways would be uh, better constructed, better paved. And my perception is, as someone who grew up in uh, South Florida and uh, moved there uh, back in uh, the last uh, century, uh, as I recall, and maybe my perception is wrong, but I don't remember getting potholes on the freeways, and they certainly got a lot more rain and hurricanes in Southern California. Why does it feel like we get potholes on our freeways here? Are they more cheaply constructed, or what happened? Well, they're overlaid with asphalt, most freeways in Los Angeles. And, you know, there again, asphalt is a is not as durable as concrete, but we have so much traffic over these surface streets and freeways that you have to have something that you can drive over the next morning. And, you know, putting concrete in these areas is is very very tough to do because concrete requires a a longer uh, cure time and you just can't close a freeway down to let it cure so they're overlaid with asphalt and there again the asphalt cap has a tendency to pop off and then you you'll you'll get a pothole you know rob, rob mentioned uh, last century and that raises this question foster we're now in the 21st century last time i checked 2023 one would think Someone, somewhere, would come up with material that would not give us potholes. And I hear what you're saying about, you know, concrete is pothole resistant, but it takes too long to cure, that sort of thing. But has nobody ever come up with a material that doesn't take long to cure, but also doesn't break out in potholes every time it rains? Yeah, you know, we experiment in Southern California with a lot of different mixes, uh, you know, and, and... Years ago, we had uh, uh, what we call super pave, which was used on the 710 freeway from the ports all the way up to uh, uh, Maywood 105 freeway and around that area because of the heavy truck traffic, container traffic that went through there. And it was an experiment. And, and you know, it, it just doesn't last. Asphalt is not made to last forever. Asphalt, if you get 20 years out of it, uh, you're, you're, you're damn lucky. So, uh 
Uh, it's not a very durable surface, but it's something that can be reclaimed. We recycle all the asphalt. We take it to a, a, an asphalt plant. They grind it up and turn it into new asphalt, which is called wrap, which is recycled asphalt. And that's mixed in with our, our virgin material that we use. And uh, that has a tendency to break down a little quicker than uh, than regular virgin asphalt. But with the price of oil nowadays, uh, everybody's trying to trying to make things last as far as dollars and cents. So obviously it's going to cost more to kind of start from scratch and, and redo the whole road. But when is that decision made? How many times can you recover an area before it's just not going to help you anymore at all? It's just going to get higher and higher and not do any good and cause more damage uh, that you rip everything up and just start over again from the bottom. Well, when you when you start seeing what we call alligator areas, which looks like the back of an alligator, and those pieces turn small, and that means that the subgrade way down below has failed, and that's that's the point where you got to get in there, tear this stuff out all the way down to the bottom, and and put base material in there, and then start over again. But that that doesn't happen that much in Los Angeles because there is a, a fairly good program uh, with Caltrans and with uh, city of la street services that comes in and, and mills and caps these areas and uh and it does work i mean we're not used to this kind of rain uh, we've had a tremendous amount of rain i know our crews are going to be backed up till christmas here so you know we're salivating over here watching all these <laughs> <over> the, <laughs> money 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 so uh but you know it's it's a tough call there's a lot of traffic in la a lot of these freeways when they were built way back when uh, weren't engineered to carry the traffic that we carry now. Uh, and there was always in the back of somebody's brain, we're going to get 20 years out of this and, and we'll start over again. But needless to say, traffic 20 years from now is going to be astronomical and it's just it's just not feasible to go in there and do a complete remodel on these things. But you, you may be one of the few people in L.A. who likes potholes. <laughs> Well, that and earthquakes. I love earthquakes. <laughs> Great. So, uh, Great. When, when we have an earthquake, all of our warranties are, vo- are, are null and void. There you go. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Foster Dennis, uh, president of California Paving and Grading in L.A. See, there's there's always for a every, bright side. Yeah, there's always, you yeah. know, we hate potholes. Uh, he uh, loves Silver them. lining in all clouds. Right now, though, the grand jury not meeting today in Manhattan in the hush money case involving former President Trump. It's uh, not clear why. It's just one of a few investigations in cases against Mr. Trump happening right now. It could also be the weakest. Richard Hassan is a UCLA law professor who specializes in election law. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. So why would this particular case be the weakest? Well, So this is a case being brought in state court under state law, and uh, we don't know exactly what the charges are going to be because nothing's been released. But the claim is that it's going to be falsifying business records, which would be a misdemeanor, probably no jail time for that, especially for a first time offender. That, That actually seems pretty strong. But the theory that we hear is that they may try and couple it with a campaign finance violation involving the Stormy Daniels hush money, and that would turn it into a felony. That kind of bootstrapping probably is not allowed under state and federal law. And so that's why uh, making it into a serious case seems like it's going to be a stretch. I was going to ask, because as I understand it, the federal government did, federal prosecutors, that is, did look into that possibility and ended up 
you know, punting. Uh, so if the feds didn't think they could uh, prosecute, why would a local district attorney think that that he could? Well, so Michael Cohen pled guilty to this crime in federal court as part of a package of crimes that he pled guilty to. So uh, it was something that federal prosecutors were considering. And uh, there are some claims that Bill Barr, when he was Donald Trump's uh, attorney general, quashed this. But uh, Merrick Garland, when he came in as Biden's attorney general, didn't revive it. Uh, How could a state uh, uh, district attorney come in? It's not clear because... Generally, violations of federal campaign finance laws can only be brought in federal court. And so there's a question as to whether or not there's some kind of concurrent jurisdiction or whether violating the federal law could also violate state law. It's a very technical issue. And if you're going to bring a claim against the former president the first time such a claim, it seems uh, a little tough to do that when no one's ever been prosecuted by this route before. So if if this just stays with the falsifying business records, uh, there are uh, some of Trump supporters who say this is completely political because no one ever gets charged with falsifying business records. But that's not true. People get charged with it all the time. It's just not as serious as the campaign finance violations. Right. I just saw a recent compilation of when there are a lot of falsifying business uh, records claims in New York. And when they could be combined with some other crime, they have been charged as felonies. Um, it's just this particular combination, if that's what we see, uh, would be novel. And the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony here, you know, the possibility of jail time is is pretty significant. So it's not just whether or not he's charged, it's how he's charged and what the crimes are. If, for example, it's obstruction of justice and they could prove or witness tampering, that might make a stronger case. But we, we don't know until the grand jury, if it issues an indictment, does issue an indictment. Right. So let me try to play out, since we're we're in this realm of speculation anyway, uh, let's play out one thing here. Uh, so let's say he is indicted, Mr. Trump, in, in New York by the Manhattan District Attorney. Um, and then let's say he's also indicted in Georgia. That's the uh, the DA that's looking into whether uh, he tried to to uh, subvert the, the election results in the state of Georgia to change who won, he or Joe Biden. Biden, of course, won that. And then you've got the federal investigation that's being conducted into whether or not uh, he uh, incited what ended up being an insurrection. And let's say they also charge as a matter of practice. Wouldn't the feds uh, go to the two local DAs and say, before you put Mr. Trump on trial in your state courts, we want at him first? Well, let me first say that you didn't mention a fourth charge, which I think is actually the most likely, which is the, with the classified documents. Yes, that's right. Say, yes, that's right. Same, Thank same you. special prosecutor, uh, this guy, Jack Smith, but he's investigating two different sets of crimes. And the clearest case seems to me, the easiest case is that the one documents. Yes. record. Yeah. Um, they would have to decide what order to do this in. And it's very unlikely, given all of the kinds of pretrial motions that could take place, that there's going to be any trial before the 2024 election is complete. So it is quite possible that Donald Trump would be under multiple indictments and the courts would be figuring out how to schedule all this so they could all be considered. And he's running for president and he's the front runner right now running for president. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Richard uh, Hassan, UCLA law professor specializing in election law. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. 
I'm Charles Feldman. The Federal Reserve has decided to raise a key interest rate again. This time it's a quarter percentage point. Now this comes as worry grows about the stability of mid-sized banks, you know, the ones like Silicon Valley, which basically collapsed. With us is Gus Fouché, chief economist at PNC Financial Services Group. Gus, thanks for being with us. Thank you. So everybody was expecting, I I suspect, uh, the Fed to do what it did, which was to raise interest rates. But I think a lot of people were hoping there would be a signal because of the banking situation that maybe this would be the last increase for a while. But they didn't get that, did they? No. Chair Powell said in his press conference that we could see some interest rate increases uh, going forward. But that being said, the Fed was much less concrete than they were the last time they met at the beginning of February. That time they said that, you know, we would see further rate increases. This time they said we might see further rate increases, depending on what happens with the economy and what happens with the financial system. So with the financial system under some stress with some of these banks, uh, is this a raising an interest rate just a quarter of a percentage point, is this going to cause uh, some more stress, do you think? Or uh, what's, going to, what's going to be the fallout from this one? Uh, you know, I think the, the stress from an additional quarter point uh, increase is going to be limited. The FDIC, the Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve, they've taken steps to stabilize the financial system. Those appear to be working. Uh, but, I, you know, I would be concerned if we saw further interest rate increases beyond this. So uh, my expectation is, is that we may see one more interest rate increase when the Fed meets next time in early May. Uh, I think that the financial sh- system should be able to withstand that. But when you raise rates, you expose stress in the financial system. And the more you raise rates, the, the greater that stress can be. So I'm curious because since the Fed, as you pointed out, did not uh, have as emphatic a statement about uh, uh, interest rates going up in the near future, you would think the market would have reacted uh, in a very positive way. But as we're speaking now, the market's quite down. Why? Yeah, you know, I I mean, I think that the market looks at this and says, well, you know, we could see further interest rate increases depending on what happens. Uh, Chair Powell was very committed to saying that he will bring inflation back down to 2%. Uh, That could mean that the Fed needs to hike more than we're expecting. So I think taking it all together, I think the outlook is for somewhat higher interest rates in the near term. And so we saw a negative market reaction to that. So for average people who don't have major investments, they've got credit cards. Uh, what does this mean to the average credit card holder with a quarter percentage point uh, interest rate rise? Uh, that means that you know interest rates on those credit cards will go up somewhat. Uh, we'll see higher interest rates, for example, on home equity loans, on car loans, that type of thing. We've actually seen long-term interest rates decline with the Fed announcement, things like mortgage rates. Uh, I think the expectation there is is that this does mean a little bit weaker economic growth, and so that's pushing down long-term rates. But for variable rate products, we will see higher rates. That's what the Fed is trying to do. They raise interest rates. They make it more expensive to borrow. That discourages business investment. It discourages consumers from spending, and that will hopefully slow inflation. We've come to learn as the days have gone by that uh, the Feds knew uh, you know, that there was trouble with Silicon Valley Bank as long as a year ago. Why did it not take any action? Uh, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable uh Uh, answering that question, given that I work for a bank, Uh, you know, but I mean, obviously, the Fed is doing a review of that to figure out what went wrong. 
All right, uh, Gus Fauché, Chief Economist at PNC uh, Financial Services Group. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a question we'll have to dig into a little bit later on that. Uh, if you're working at a bank, uh, what bank was that? And But I, but I, I don't think he was uh, ready to answer that question. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay, let's say you're a huge Beyonce fan. You I'm to... a huge Beyonce fan. Okay. Oh, you're buying the premise, huh? Yes. Because, you know, they say you, well, bu- no, you, you have to buy. Well, no, you told me to say it, so I did. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, so for the sake of argument, <laughs> for the sake of argument, you're a big Beyonce fan. Okay. Okay. All right. We're we're agreed on that. Yes. Okay. Now you go to buy. T- <laughs> you go to buy. You're in one of those moods. You, you go to buy. <laughs> you go to buy tickets because you are a big Beyonce fan. Yes. Right. You go to buy tickets, and lo and behold, surprise, surprise. The tickets are like hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. And you go, no, right. I'm not going to pay that kind of money. I make radio money. I don't make Beyonce money. <laughs> right. So so what do you do? Well, there is one thing you can do. Yeah. And this is the part that sounds crazy. Uh-huh. You could get on a plane yeah. and go see her in Paris. That's crazy. It is crazy, but it may also really be cheaper that way. Uh, with us to explain how and why is Mercedes Ariel, who has done just that, she is a travel content creator who helps people when it comes to affordable luxury travel. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. So it is crazy, but according to you, it, it really can be cheaper. How is it cheaper and why is it cheaper? Well, uh, so I did go to Paris to see Beyonce in 2018. It absolutely was cheaper. Uh, I took my mother. We had floor seats. Those were $92. However, fast forward, Beyonce recently announced that she was going to be uh, doing a world tour. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go see her in Stockholm because it's the most random, obscure place that no one else is going to be competing with me for tickets. So I was able to reverse hack the Ticketmaster system. I got floor tickets in her Club Renaissance section, which is one of the most sought after sections, for $366. Um, and then in addition to that, because I had points and miles, I am flying on taxes to Stockholm, Sweden, round trip, for $200, and my hotel accommodations are completely free while I'm there because I have hotel points. Okay, so let, let, let's try to, to depackage some of that. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, the tickets are so expensive in the U.S., why? Well, I, I think that it's uh, based on uh, Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing system. And so any number of people could be in the system all at the same time. But, but having access to very different numbers. So I had friends that were in at the same time and they were seeing tickets. You know, one person might see tickets for $200. The same section might be showing $700 for someone else. Um, and it's consistently changing. It's constantly changing. And while I can't quite comprehend why the tickets are so inexpensive in Europe in comparison, but historically, they are, and it's consistent. Could it have something to do with the fact that a lot of people are complaining about this, buying tickets in America? We've got all these fees tacked on, and hard to yeah. explain what the fees are for and why you can look at a seat on uh, one screen and it's $200 and then go to somebody else's screen and they're being charged $700. A lot of people are very upset about that because that does not seem fair. Is it that there are fewer of these hidden type fees when it comes to buying tickets in Europe? Yeah, I will definitely say that the fees were, I, I can't recall off the top of my head because it was it was straight adrenaline that was getting me through the system when I was buying them. But the fees were very minimal. And I want to say it was one fee and it was a very small amount. But 
there were there were comparable seats on the on the floor that were starting around $150. So I just chose a more luxurious experience, but there were absolutely tickets on the floor throughout Europe for about $100, which is, you would never get come close to that in the U.S. Now, you're obviously extremely savvy about travel. Could the average person, could somebody who knows, like, nothing about travel, like Rob, could, <laughs> could, <laughs> could, could somebody like Rob figure this out and, and also get the same savings that you got? Well, I will say this. I, I, I do have a large platform. And so a big a big component of my platform is sharing how people can use their everyday spending to earn points and miles with or without a travel credit card. So it's certainly something that I advocate my followers to do. Um, and a lot of people just don't understand that they're missing opportunities to be earning miles on, on stuff they do anyway. Well, I have an infallible travel system uh, where I always get good deals and go to interesting places and have fun. And that system is called Ronnie, and that is the name of my wife, who makes all, all right, the arrangements for me because I am too dumb to figure that stuff out. <laughs> it, it is certainly nuanced. So, uh, I mean, it almost sounds like somebody talking about being dumb, that somebody would have to be dumb to pay the kind of ticket prices that people do put well, up with. There are here a lot of dumb States. people, Charles, because people well, are I guess. paying those prices. Yeah, well, I mean, but if you can also see the artist you want to see, but also have a kind of, you know, European vacation on the side, yeah, you'd it be just pretty, makes sense. Yeah, you'd be pretty <laughs> dumb just to spend all that money to, to see the performer who's going to take all your money and take their own vacation in Europe. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest challenge is, is that we all have core memories that are that are related to music. Right. And so I think for a lot of people, it's an emotional decision. Right. Like Beyonce got you through a breakup. Beyonce, Beyonce, you celebrated with your your, your last job promotion. There are all these things that are really vividly uh, connected to your story that make you want to say, I'm going to support this artist. And for some people, they're willing to, you know, to spend. But I also think the biggest challenge is most people just do not live in the power of possibility in terms of being creative about how they spend and where they spend. And so I just have a different kind of mindset and I advocate for that because you would be surprised what you can do with very little um, it, when you when you think that way. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, Mercedes uh, Ariel uh, traveling to Europe to see Beyonce for cheaper than just getting the tickets and going to see it here in the States. Did you take notes? Uh, no. I didn't. I'm hoping that my wife was listening and she took notes. Because that does sound like a pretty good I may look into that. I I, Honestly, nothing against Beyonce. I know that she's very talented, but not my style of music. But if it were somebody I really wanted to see, I could see myself, if I'm going to save money and also get a European vacation out of it and wind up spending less money overall, then absolutely I would take that deal. Well, you know, and I was reading earlier about this, Rob, that in, in one case, uh, somebody was looking for tickets. I won't say the name of the performer, but in this country, they were going for $900 a ticket, and this person only ended up spending about 90 to see the same performer overseas, leaving like eight hundred dollars mm-hmm. left over to have a good time in to Europe. The traveling, yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, we will also uh, coming up. Uh, that's it for today's in depth. By the way.